Biamancini is a democracy activist, open source sustainer, co-founder and CEO of Open Collective and chair of the Democracy Earth Foundation. She worked in politics in Argentina and helped start the political party, El Partido de la Red. She believes that we're 21st century citizens doing our best to interact with 19th century designed institutions built with an information technology of the 15th century. Pia Mancini, welcome to the Creative Process and One Planet podcast. Thank you for having me. So what are your thoughts on the future of democracy? And tell us a little bit about how your organizations are working towards bringing democracy to all and updating democracy for the 21st century. Yeah, so we started this work a while back, more than I care to acknowledge. So 2012. And at the time, what we were noticing was that our internet had changed everything that was happening in society or most of things that were happening in the sense of how we relate to one another, how we were able to organize the type of tooling that we had to do advocacy or to fundraise, to distribute knowledge and technology. All of that had radically changed, but our political institutions remained the same. And I think that the premise that we had is still valid today and it's going to be valid forever. The institutions are not created in a void. They belong to or they respond to the needs of a certain society with a certain technology, with a certain communication tooling, with a certain level of access to education, with an energy harnessing mechanism, right? So all of that plays into the type of political institutions that we create and what we design. And so at the time, we were seeing that representative democracy, as we know it, it's a system where the few speak in the name of the many, because at the time, it was impossible for the many to participate. Education was far from universal. And so we had no way of distributing the tooling we needed for more folks to be engaged in the decision-making processes, all of that changed, right? And so we were faced with the situation where the democracy that we have is out of sync with how society is developing. So for us, when you have that level of disconnect in a system, you have two types of outputs. You either have a lot of noise in the system where no one understands what's going on and expectations are not met. And folks, on the one hand, you are living in a society that everyone can talk to everyone and speak to everyone like, digitally, but then you have to go back to being recipient of a monologue when it comes to your politics or your civic engagement. So that's one output, right? A lot of noise, a lot of people on the street because you have no way of channeling discontent, you have no way of channeling valid requests or attempts for change. You have folks that have agency on one aspect of their lives, but no agency at all on another aspect of their lives. Or the other output that a system like that likely produces is silence. So you just withdraw from participation because the engagement mechanisms or spaces are just not valid for you, right? So you have apathy, you have silence, you have folks not willing or wanting to participate in like public sphere because the public sphere kind of sucks, right? So that's the context of all the work that we've done over the years is related to rethinking this. And so you talk about the lack of engagement. On the one hand, we have this huge fracturing of trust in the different political parties, which are largely polarized. So whatever progress is achieved by one party, they're so gridlocked if they can even achieve progress, then is rolled back by the other party, depending on which country you're in. Even the transformation of journalism it used to be more neutral, more nuanced, but now 
it's a kind of arena of entertainment and we get more clicks based on anger seems to motivate people and it seems to keep people on these channels. And yet it's very strange. You have this fracturing of trust. We should have more transparency because of these tools that would allow us to have greater feedback loops and just Mm -hmm. the nuance or the level of feedback and data that you can get just even on Twitter. So how do we use these technologies, which I know that you have with the Democracy OS? How do we take advantage of the best of these technologies without giving way to the worst? Well, it's difficult. At the kind of height of our activism, like all of the democracy movements in the world, that were happening all together. There was this emerging kind of moment where Tunisia and Egypt and Iran and Spain was happening and Chile. And I think that we were kind of super in love at the time with the technology and the tools. Everything seemed very fresh and groundbreaking. But I think we were kind of naive in saying that a particular set of tools was really going to bring the change that we wanted to see without us really looking at the B-side. Of it. All the tools that we were using are designed for virality. They're not designed for healthy public debate, not even generating consensus, because that's not even the problem at this stage. We're so far away from that. They're not designed to bring the best in us. They're designed to bring the worst in us. And that's what pays off. So I think we missed that as a generation or as an activist group. We missed that the tools that we were so smitten by were really producing this almost collateral damage to our civic tissue and our societies. And we are so far down that rabbit hole at the moment that I think there's so much we need to walk back in terms of like the power platforms have, the lack of accountability algorithms have. So I guess as I grew older, I came to realize that most of the challenges that we face are not necessarily technological. They are in part, but they're also very human. They're very much human challenges. And we need to build these digital public spaces in a very different way than we have done until now. They're super global north centric, US centric. They have all of these assumptions built into their algorithms, all of these biases built into their algorithms. So we shifted a lot of our work to support like more accountability initiatives and make platforms accountable for the messes that they are making in society. Until we have shared governance of our public spaces again, I think it's going to be very difficult to seriously think about upgrading democracy. I don't know if it's a sequential space. I think it's all part of also ourselves understanding how we can design the institutions that we want by designing kind of governance institutions of our public spaces. It's experiential. We need to live and learn. Exactly. I still have a lot of optimism. It it takes time for these institutions to evolve. I mean, they're wonderful initiatives. And I'm so hopeful I've spoken with team in Taiwan, Moda under Audrey Tang. And of course, they have the technological advantage. I think that Mm -hmm. they have the access that would reach. It's like the digital access and Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi is a human right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm very hopeful to see how with their hackathons and all this, it's really inclusive view of democracy, not just the way we view democracy is maybe you vote every two or every four years and maybe you take part in local elections and then that's it. And you have these people who are professional politicians take care of the rest of it. But this 
new way and tell me how your organizations view it, making democracy something that you as a citizen participate in every day. So Mm -hmm. how can we use digital means to foster inclusiveness, industrial transformation, Mm -hmm. the adaptive resilience that we need facing the climate crisis, etc.? 100%. So some of the work that I'm more focused on at the moment is a company that I co-founded called Open Collective. And Open Collective is a mechanism to move money from the center to the fringes by actively funding and enabling thousands of communities around the world to receive funding without having to become legal entities themselves. So we really move a lot of money from traditional donors, companies, individuals, etc., into the hands of the communities. I think that's a first step. What I love the most about the work, we believe very deeply that these communities Climate justice movements is like one example of them, but also open source. The way that we have of regaining control of our digital space is by building common public digital infrastructure that is open source and is accessible, right? So we have thousands of open source communities that we actively fund. But it's also about giving project-directed funding with no strings attached. So those communities that are at the forefront of climate justice fight, mutual aid, open source, citizen intelligence, they know how to use the money the best. And I think that if we start traditional philanthropy tells them, oh, this is the way you should be spending the money, impact or show me metrics or apply and then we'll only pay for grants in this space because this is where we think the money should go. And that has inherent power dynamics that are hyper-colonial. Like we have the money, we're giving you the money and we're telling you what to do with that money. That doesn't make any sense. We need to just move the money into the hands of these communities and let them do their work in the way that they think is right. Because we need to kind of move away from giver-receiver kind of dynamics that happen in the world. So... Open Collective is very focused on funding and enabling funding for grassroots communities and global movements that are really reshaping what many of these challenges look like. And we kind of became a bit of the platform for funding these groups. And I am very proud of that because I think that is the base layer of how we can rebuild institutions is by designing solutions with those who are excluded today. Because if you design solutions and design technology top down, and I'm not talking about like waterfall agile, this is not a technological concept, okay? This is like me telling you what's the best way of doing things. If we do that, we're only going to build technology for those who are the winners of the current system. The only way of really moving transformative energy through the world is by designing, building, with those and letting those who are marginalized today to build the solutions that they need. So that's the way we're thinking about this. And I think that the bottom-up approach for redesigning social and democratic institutions, it's painful, it's hard, but it's the only way forward. It also goes into education from the earliest age that democracy is really in civics, really taught from a young age so that you can self-govern, but you have to know how government does work. And you mentioned financing of organizations, grassroots, and I'm wondering what role cryptocurrency plays in Mm -hmm. that, And because there's also distrust around that and retaining its value. So what's the governance and the oversight with that? Open collective, we allow collectives to have funding, pay themselves, have employment, have resources, manage resources. We don't do it in the Web3 world. And there's a couple of reasons for that. A, half of our community kind of distrusts Web3 or crypto. And so more philosophically, I think that the technology in the Web3 ecosystem is not there for everyone, right? It's very 
exclusive in many ways. Just to give an idea, the type of communities that we work with that we think are the ones who should be designing and building solutions, some of those communities, PayPal is high tech. But if you do not work with them, you are not solving the problems, right? Because you're just doing more of the same with the same people who actually knows how to play the game. Right? That's why they have access to this technology and funding, etc. And do I think that Web3 is going to be the future? Sure. I think some of that is going to happen in one way or another. I don't think we're there yet. And I don't want to force all of our communities into having to use a technology they do not feel comfortable with. So we receive crypto. That's fine. We convert it to fiat and add it to the collectives. We're not going to say no to money, but, but we're not forcing them on a token or anything like that. Yes, I've been politically engaged from the time you were a child, which is so refreshing to hear. There's a lot of disengagement now. But what was it like for you as a young woman with bold ideas on democracy and ineffective government and just wanting to bring about change? What were the challenges you faced and how did you address them? Well, I think I faced the same challenges that any man or woman would face in terms of trying to change an existing system. So there's a whole kind of set of challenges that I think are common to everyone who's trying to disrupt the status quo and at the same time needs to engage with the status quo because we do live in a society where we play by certain rules and it is what it is. And so I think many of those challenges have to do with the nature of power and how power is conservative and power will do anything in order to stay in power and the status quo will do anything and make itself look like anything (laughs) that you want in order to stay in power. And they might change their spots a little bit here or there. But if you look deep enough, it's the same people, it's the same power. And I learned that the hard way because once we started working, political parties, governments, etc., they were interested in what we're doing. We were so fresh and new and so young and engaged. And this was amazing. We're going to co-op these kids and we're going to look modern and great. And I spent two or three years traveling around the world, implementing instances of democracy OS in many different countries and cities. And everyone tells you yes. Everyone wants their picture with you. Everyone wants to do this. It's not a charade because there are people that genuinely want to adopt this and they do believe like deep down in, in what you're doing. It's just the system itself is geared towards something else because the rules of the system are what they are. And so for me, that was like a big challenge of realizing that we were facing power and power is conservative and that's not the way to really achieve the change that we wanted to make. Or for me, I wasn't patient enough for incremental changes. That's not what I'm interested in. So that there's one set of challenges that I think is common to anyone in my position trying to do this. And then with regards of being a young woman, I mean, sure, you face the same kind of sexist comments that you would face anywhere else that I face now as a woman CEO. The best thing I can do for that is just occupying the space and keep occupying the space and refuse to move away or let things like that stop me from engaging. Yeah, and it's so important, even that people want to support you, but that you don't become a kind of window dressing. And then once you do get power, how do you evolve power? You maintain it and evolve your position. Yes, that is the core of it, right? When I was campaign managing and serving in campaigns in Argentina, like I've seen share a bit of friends, colleagues, co-workers get into position of power in all kind of areas of government. And at the end of the day, like it's a system that is screwed up. The system is incentivized for you to behave in a certain way. And you have all the incentives to not devolve power. And what we need to do is not only evolve, but also devolve. You need to give power back. But the idea that you'll arrive in a position of power to give power back, it's so confusing to the system that it's almost impossible to achieve because 
all the system is built for you to accumulate and stay in power. Yeah. And another difficult thing when you're a leader, people sometimes don't realize that when you take on something that it's really important and you're passionate about it, and you're fully committed, but it can also become all consuming to the point of self-neglect. So how mm. do you keep those two different parts of yourself in mind and break that cycle and say, well, now this is time for Pia's wellness and free yourself up for yourself. So you're not always in service of others. That's a super fair question. I guess what happened to me is I was very public, had a very public persona for a while, and then I got pregnant. And that for me was my reality check. My daughter, I just did not have time for bullshit anymore. <laughs> I was starting Open Collective, my company, when Roma, my daughter, she said that now was two months old. And I didn't know what it was to be a mother or what it was to be a tech co-founder. I just thought I could do everything. It was really challenging. But when you have a kid, their suffering is your suffering. You know, there is no other way but to make space for them. I am so grateful that I started my company when Roma was two months old because it really forced me to be so focused in the time and not with her. It better be time well spent. Right. And so I guess I gained that boundaries. I learned those boundaries very early on because there wasn't a time where I was working 25 hours a day and then suddenly I got pregnant and then I had to cut like everything happened in simultaneous and so I built my work standards and I built my team and my work ethics and my work-life balance when I had a very young child and that was very helpful to me. It's counterintuitive, but that's really how it happened. But also at the same time, I really scaled back my public work. I would be very scared of running for elections with a young child in Argentina. Like I wouldn't have chose that. And so a lot of the polarization that we're witnessing around the world, there is a divide between cities and rural communities and pitting them against each other, different classes. So how do you increase the dialogues to include all parties, all stakeholders in the democratic process and learn from their different specializations so that all boats rise? I am a very big fan of sortition, so like a lottery mechanism for government posts. And the reason why I like sortition or lottery so much, whether that's like lottery on citizen panels or whatever it is, or executive positions even, what I really like about that is right now the whole system is, as you said before, is geared towards the game between professional citizens. And everything is about that, like division of power, mandates, all the whole system is like, okay, we have this very limited number of professional citizens and we're all going to build the rules around that. If you have sortition or randomly selected citizens in government, what happens is anyone can be in that position. So I really like this idea of starting with sandboxes of experimentation around sortition in different, maybe start in a city or things like that, but really reshifting the system to consider everyone as a potential politician instead of just the political corporation. And I think that that is a really good way of making sure that everyone knows how to debate and is able to have access to the resources we need because anyone can be part of that. So I'm a really big fan of that. But then again, I think we need to, on like a larger level, I think we need to really work on redesigning our digital ecosystems to enable better communication. I really like that you've created this system with open democracy that you almost force elected officials to listen to their constituents. Otherwise, they don't really 
get done what they need to get done. I mean, I've seen stuff happen when elected officials don't listen to their constituents. Could you elaborate on the dangers of not listening to your constituents, why it's so important to listen? The people closest to the problem must be those closest to the solution, right? And the people who are leaving the problems and are at the front lines of suffering the problems that we're trying to fix via politicians to do policy, they need to be involved in how we design those policies. Otherwise, we're just going to be building for other vested interests, which is what happens. I would love to see a world where not only politicians need to listen to their constituents, but their constituents are the ones making decisions. It's really annoying that we get to choose between groups of people, but we cannot choose how those people make decisions. That for me is an immense flaw in the current system and it produces a dynamic that it's almost impossible to move away from because if we're not engaged in how they make decisions, then the process of making decisions is going to be co-opted by others. Right? I definitely agree. I am American and Italian, so I have experienced both political systems. And I know that a lot of my friends in Italy, they have trouble voting because there's no mail order ballots. And even here when there's, there's mail order ballots, I don't get mine in time because there's a lot of voter suppression going around. Even Congress being gridlocked, it's really disheartening as a young person to see democracy almost start to fail for mm. us. So do you think that there's anything that we can do to get democracy back on track? Is there anything we can do as young people? What needs to happen for democracy yeah. to kind of get to the best that it can be? I mean, so many things. Even if the current system sucks, we still need to vote. That for me is something that I keep repeating. We cannot leave vacuums in the political system because someone else was going to fill them. So that for me is the number one thing. We can change everything we want and work on change, but we need to make sure that the right people are voted in. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot harder. So we need to play both games, I guess. And then I think that we've had time to experience and experiment with these institutions like hundreds of years. And whenever we propose something new, there is this expectation that completely replaces what it exists. And it always gets compared like, oh, but this happened. But we need to experiment. We need to be honest about this. And we need to say like, we don't know if we have unintended consequences. Like what I was saying before about like our use of social media, we missed it. And so I think that we can, at the grassroots level, do a lot of experimentation and organizing kind of collectives that you self-govern in different ways and you use different tools and you really experiment with what happens at a human level when certain technologies are used, when certain governance structures are used. So I think that the game we all need to play is twofold. On the one hand, we need to build a new system that and makes the existing system obsolete. And we need to do this by finding sandboxes of political innovation and experimenting with political structures ourselves. But at the same time, we need to keep the pressure in the existing system to make sure that it doesn't go to hell. So it's these two things. It's our generational challenge. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on social media and how that will play a role in democracy? Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm part of Gen Z. It's hard for me not to be on the internet, hard for me not to be on social media. And so all I see is just this really unhelpful discourse. As you said, it's meant to go viral. It's not meant to foster healthy debate, healthy discourse. So how would young people be able to use social media, the internet to foster mm. healthy discourse on yeah. social media and the internet? Yeah, it starts with different levels. It starts with how you react to when you read something else. It starts with each of us personally and how we behave and how we act in social media and educating ourselves in 
misinformation and disinformation tactics to be able to see them and not be part of that hyper-reactionary movement where everything is like, ah, a disaster, or we react at everything, or we feel like offended by everything. So I think, and this is like the same that it has been forever. This is not new. Centuries and centuries ago, we had the same challenges. It all starts with how you behave. And so I think it starts there. And then I would say there are a lot of really good tooling that we can still use. If you remember, your generation has been so good at using tooling to hack and troll governments and politicians. And I am in awe. I mean, right? Talk about hack the system. You are like the new anonymous. And I love that. Like I am right there with you. I don't even use TikTok, but if you want me to use TikTok for something, I will. So just keep using social media to troll the trolls. I think that is a very important thing that you can do and occupy that space. And then lastly, again, build alternatives and support alternatives, right? We have distributed social media projects. We have new publics, which is this amazing group in the United States that is like designing public spaces and rethinking digital spaces in in their advisory board. And they're incredible. Support those projects. Support everyone who's building mesh infrastructure, right? Distributed mesh infrastructure. If there's a generation that is multiplayer, it's you guys. And so you need to play in all these different games at the same time and build the alternative while you are using whatever you have at your hands to make sure that we're pushing forward our agenda. It's so true. Digital advocacy now is so strong and powerful in many ways that they can influence the election cycle and really adaptive week by week, just being able to fine tune things. As we reflect on the future of democracy, it really goes hand in hand with having a healthy fourth estate and the future of mm. journalism. Mm. How do we avoid the clickbait, the negatively incentivized media sphere where even trusted outlets are having to compete and change I think quality journalism outlets, they're unfortunately having to give way to this entertainment journalism. Yes, that's happening. And uh, mixed feelings about that. Like on the one hand, that is absolutely right. And traditional newspapers are having to cope with a whole new way of doing media and they're suffering and they need to transform themselves into something that they're not. At the same time, they were never super good citizens to begin with, right? Sure, some local media, I think, is different. I think local media really serves its constituents, like local newspapers, local radios. I think they really serve their constituents, and they still do. But once you start going to conglomerate media, they were never the good guys. On the one hand, I hate seeing the Washington Post or the New York Times turning into what they turned. But at the same time... I really welcome the fact that we have different outlets and different sources of information because I think monopolies are also hurtful. So I do have mixed feelings about this. I think it's a lot more nuanced than what the dialogue about that has been so far. It does get confusing and it's kind of perplexing how people living in the same country or the same city can actually not agree on facts. I mean... Mm -hmm points of view and political perspective, but just basic facts even can be misreported. So that is definitely troubling. And with the deep fakes, I didn't want to think about the level of technological sophistication that's possible these days. Nuanced is dead, right? Like there is no nuance anymore. Everything you say is taking literally and everything is a binary 
problem. You're either against or for, you are woke or you're alt-right. Why can't I have a spectrum of things that I think, you know? And that is so sad to see, to be honest. I think we need to bring ones back <laughs> into our lives. So what can we learn from Pia? ¿Qué podemos aprender de Pia? First off, democracy is a long-standing political system. Not an economic system, not a social system, a political system. An important part of democracy is the social contract. The power of the governing is derived from the consent of the governed. The people in power are only allowed to be in power as long as the people allow them to. Democracy puts the power in the hands of the people, but once that power doesn't lie with the people, that's when it stops being a democracy. Democracy today is struggling, and Pia believes it's because we are using old and outdated tools for a modern world and a modern governance. Her goal is to create new tools that sustain democracy in a 21st century world. While she believes democracy is the best system we can have and we can use, it's important to always be critical of systems and work to make them better. Don't ever become complacent and make sure to make your voice heard. Primero, la democracia es un sistema político de la radata. No un sistema económico, no un sistema social, un sistema político. Una parte importante de la democracia es el contrato social. El poder de los gobernantes se deriva del consentimiento de los gobernados. A los poderosos solo se les permite estar en el poder mientras la, la gente se lo permita. La democracia pone el poder en manos del pueblo. Pero una vez que ese poder no está en el pueblo, allí deja de ser una democracia. La democracia hoy está luchando y Pia cree que es porque estamos usando herramientas viejas y obsoletas para un mundo moderno. Su objetivo es crear nuevas herramientas que sostienen la democracia en un mundo moderno. Si bien ella cree que la democracia es el mejor sistema que podemos tener, es importante ser siempre crítico con los sistemas y trabajar para mejorarlos. No te vuelvas complaciente. Haz que tu voz se escuche. Now, back to the interview. Civilized discourse. I miss it. I miss it. When you're developing proofs of concept or modeling good digital governance, just describe your different projects. So right now, I'm mostly focused on Open Collective. I want to make sure that communities around the world are resilient, they can have the funds and the support and the structure they need to operate in the world. They are the ones who are really thinking of new political institutions, of climate change solutions, of open source, of our public digital infrastructure. They're building these kind of distributed mesh networks around the world. They're doing mutual aid, solidarity economy. And I'm really focused on supporting them. And that's my kind of mission in the world today. I've been doing that for many years. Democracy Earth Foundation, I'm a co-founder of that organization and it's still running. They're focused more at the moment on something called proof of humanity that essentially is the base layer of digital identity. So one of the main challenges of doing digital democracy or doing digital governance institutions has to do with how do you prove identity without a central authority or government? So we need to validate that someone can participate in a certain space without that 
proof being intermediated by an authority. Because what happens now is that having a voice in the world very often is an accident of where you're born, right? If you're lucky enough to be born in one country, then you can vote, you can speak your mind, you can participate in the global conversation. But if you're born in a different country, tough luck, right? So obviously that is incredibly unfair and there is no way forward for the world unless we bring everyone with us, right? And so Proof of Humanity is trying to design the base layer of that distributed identity that has to do with at least proving that you're a human. It's very embedded in the Web3 world. And so in order to move forward with digital democracy, the, one of the core things that we need to work on is in digital identity and Proof of Humanity. So Proof of Humanity is a project of Democracy Earth. And it's tied to the UBI, to the Universal Basic Income Token, that has to do with, again, the same, everything that we do philosophically is the same. Like, how do you make sure that everyone can participate and not just those who have access to the technology or the money? And so UBI is designed to distribute those tokens to anyone in the world that is proved to be a human. And so the longer you're in the world, the more UBI you are going to have. And that's how it works. I just wanted to ask, I'm pretty young, even though I've studied other political systems, I have shortcomings when it comes to experiencing anything else. So do you believe democracy is the best political system? And why or why not do you believe this? I absolutely believe it. I think that with all its shortcomings, I think democracy is the best system that we can have to give ourselves. I think that the idea of democracy is confused with the system of government very often. But deep down, if we're talking about democracy, it means like the government of the people. A hundred percent, the best system there is one where the legitimacy of power lies entirely in the people. And so I think that democracy has to do the conversation around democracy as a system and not as a certain form of government it has to do with where lies power, where is ultimately who has the legitimacy of power. And that has to be the people. There is no other way. And I think that A, because it's our government, it's our society, it's our world, and we are all peers that share a commons that is this planet, and we need to give ourselves a government. And B, I believe this because I think power is corrupt and power corrupts. And unless you have a mechanism where the legitimacy of power lies in the hands of the people as a whole, you will have the legitimacy of power in the hands of a few. And that corrupts even more because they have no incentives to return power. And look, I come from Argentina and Latin America has a lot of this classic populism where Everything is so chaotic and everything is such a mess that we need like a strong man, like a military guy who can order things and then we're going to have democracy. That fallacy, I lived with that fallacy most of my life, this idea that we need strong men in order to organize things and then give away power. So a couple of thoughts there. A, strong men normally do not make things better. They make things worse. And B, they never devolve power because they have zero incentive to devolve power. I wouldn't choose any other political method that is not democracy. Also under that, what kind of democracy should be adapted to whatever country or the population? Mm. I don't believe we can have one system that governs all 
we have is so complex, the histories and cultures. I also want to say, I know that the climate crisis is at the forefront in your mind and it's an existential crisis. So the question is also then under democracy, what is the space for earth law or for including those who are not mm. yet eligible to vote like children who will experience the worst brunt? So like animals in the natural world and children oh, who yes. face that future that we've set out for them. I think it's fundamental that we figure out a way of doing this. I think it's absolutely wrong and unfair that those who are about to leave this earth are the ones making decisions for those staying in the earth. That doesn't make any sense. So how we do it, I am not the right person for doing policy. I'm a system thinker, so I can think about systems, but like how we implement the policy for that, I don't know. I do think philosophically, we must include everyone who shares this planet with us in the decision-making process. Yancy Stickler, who's the co-founder of Kickstarter, he has this amazing book. What's interesting about this is that his model for what has value is this bento box, where you think about what has value for you today in the short term, but equally you need to measure that with what decisions are valuable for future generations. So it's really this kind of large quadrant that keeps expanding to future generations. And we use that to decide today, instead of deciding just what's the best for me today, and then maybe what's the best for me and my family, and then maybe what's the best for me and my society today. So what's the best for all of that? Plus, What's the best for future generations? So really incorporating in our decision-making models, future generations and, and like the future of society, not just like the, the short term. I highly recommend that book. I think that at the very, very base of this kind of problem, I think that everyone deserves a democracy, everyone in the world. Like, I don't care about cultural differences, or they've never had a democracy, or they're not used to having a democracy, or I think that's almost moral relativism, and it only serves colonial perspectives and keeps like power dynamics as they are today. So the first thing I would say is everyone should have a democracy. And then the type of government that you decide to give yourself, I think it can change. I think whether you are talking about cities, or you're talking about the planetary scale, or you're talking about countries, or you're talking about neighborhoods, they're, they're different models. Some models are better for some scale than others. I do think that at the core, everyone in this planet should be living under a democracy. And as you think on this future scale, as you think about the kind of world we're living the next generation, what would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? I guess preserve their, their sense of agency. When you're young, you have this sense of we can change things and we have agency and we can go out there and do things and wanes a little bit sometimes as you grow older and life happens. So I think that preserving your sense of agency, I would love for everyone to go back to that sense of we are able to change the world. It's our time, it's our generation. It's up to us to no one else truly keeping that belief alive because then everything stems from there every change in democracy is a work in progress like this is like Pepe Mujica the former president of Uruguay said this on a meeting in DC that I was present at and he said democracy is a work in progress if it stops being a work in progress it's going to stop being a democracy and I love that because even what you and me are talking about now it's not going to make sense in maybe 50 years 100 years that it's going to be old and dated so I think that what's important is not the output 
that we're able to design today. It's the tooling that we have to design outputs that are fair, that are equitable, and that serve the purpose of governing this society. And so the mechanism through which we arrive at that, that's what I would like to preserve, not the output itself. So thank you, Pia Mancini and your different organizations, Democracy Earth, the Open Collective, for sharing your agency and your important insights about transforming political life and evolving democracy to serve the needs of the people so it's more equitable and brings justice for all. We all live on one planet we call home. Thank you for adding your voice to One Planet Podcast and the creative process. Thank you for having me. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk and Bianca Weber with the participation of collaborating universities and students. The associate interview producer on this episode was Bianca Weber. Digital media coordinator was Sam Myers. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you'd like to get involved with our creative community exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.